Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there is Steve. Uhura. That's right, and we are back into the sword and soul. Uh, we are talking A Debt to Pay by our good friend Milton Davis. Uh, this is put out by MV Media. Now, this is actually going to be a re-release of a 2012 novel? Yeah, so I was I was kind of texting with, with him because... I wanted to know why um, we're, he wanted us to take a look at this book that's like, you know, as far as books go, pretty pretty old. And Definitely not the oldest thing we've covered, though. No, I mean, but for, like, modern authors, it's pretty old. True. Yeah, it, it's not like, like uh, Robert E. Howard old. <laughs> Or um, the <laughs> Japanese ghost stories we did. Yeah. We didn't have to get in a fucking TARDIS to read it or anything. But <laughs> All right. But, uh, yeah, so uh, originally this was two. It was part two of, of two, two stories. Uh, and this is the one he actually liked better. Mm-hmm. And he decided to, to re-release this because there is a sequel. That is in the works. Right. And, and I understand. It, it, you know, you you put out something 12 years ago uh, when you're just starting out. And then, you know, you kick around some other things. You get more popular. And maybe this isn't something somebody, a lot of people have read. So you want to re-release it, especially if you're going to go back to that that um setting which i get i totally get right right he did the same thing with uh the meiji special edition uh well maybe he he revisited the original version of it and added some stuff and rewrote some stuff and yeah we got kind of the author's cut yeah i don't (laughs) think that was it was like the stand (laughs) Uh, but i don't think he did so Meiji, he had originally written as one long book and he had split it into two. Mm-hmm. And then the special edition, he like kind of combined them back. Nice. Okay. I think, I think that's, that's the story with this. This is kind of the opposite where he took um, the, the two stories, extracted the one he liked, um, which he said was the better of the two stories. Um, so he can build off of it later on. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's weird. It's it's an older book that maybe people aren't as familiar with as things like Changa, the Safari, or um, At a or, Blast. Um, the, well, yeah, the world of, of Meiji. I think um, Woman Woman of the Woods is from that mm-hmm. that world and everything. So, um, and this is a lot less of the um, the Conanesque. Conan-esque mm-hmm. kind of feel to it. This isn't simply, um, you know, barbarians with swords fighting, you know, on the on the in the plains and jungles of Africa and mm. going to like old cities pre-colonial. It's, it's none of that, actually. Right. This this particular book, um, before we get into like synopsis and stuff, uh, feels kind of like a Moorcock book. Feels a lot like Jewel in the Skull. It's it's an alternative history book. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the premise is that um, a a uh, I, f- I forgot what they were called. 
that's how how savvy I am. Um, so there was a civilization, um, the Nayamka, mm -hmm. uh, who who sent out a colony basically uh, to America, and they were the original colonists. So they're from from the motherland, from Africa. Um, and it kind of takes the, the action of this story takes place a few generations after that, um, where you have the dynamics of colonialism from Africans in America, mm -hmm. as opposed to Europeans, but there are Europeans there, but they're Vikings. Well, there, so, there's Celts and the Vinlanders are, are right, there as well. And they're interacting the Right. right. They're interacting with the native tribes. You have Cherokee, Choctaw. Uh, this is all right. takes place around in the southeast. Yeah, uh, it's in Georgia. Right. It, where Milton surprisingly Davis, enough, it takes place in, in Georgia. Well, it's, it's it, but the way Milton spins uh, this fantastical North America, southeast Georgia, uh, and then like the barrier islands and stuff off the coast uh you know it's it's both familiar and fantastic at the same time so there are there are familiar place names the the appalachian mountains are there uh the capital of the nations is uh you know the most of the action takes place around chattahoochee right and and it's it's you know, because a lot of the place names there are derived from native um, words mm -hmm. and native place names. Uh, so those remain the same because it's the same groups of natives live there. Right, right. Um, and then there's... Which, which is, that's clever as all hell, as far as I'm concerned. Because yeah. it, it, it grounds it in enough in the familiar where, you're, where you can say, okay, I know where that is. Or you can look it up on Wikipedia and say, okay, that's a real place. Right. But it's fantastic enough that it's fresh and uh, it draws you in. And he also does the Moorcock thing where, you know, Lanta, the city of Lanta. And, right. and uh, what was Savannah? It was just, I don't, I, but I'm horrible with names. Atlanta and Savannah are make appearances in this alternate form as well, and it's like okay, okay. So you just because you know the basic geography of the United States, you get a good idea of where these locations are, and I right. think that's a really uh, well done and clever device. It can get a little overused. Yeah. But I think it helps a lot in the world building that you don't have to do info dumps. I mean, you know basically where in Georgia the city of Atlanta is. Right. So you and, have, and if you, you don't, there's Google. Right. So you can form a mental map in your head without actually having to resort to a map. Right. You, you don't have to have your Mordor at the beginning. Right. Because it's already up in your head. No, I like that. I like the fact that he didn't make everything all rosy because of the alternate history. The uh, colonizers are still colonizers. Right. <laughs> They're not like, oh, well, if the Africans colonized America, everything would be great. 
because it's not because they're still invaders. <laughs> right, right. And, and you come. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you come to find out that the actual civilization that colonized the new world had some issues. Mm-hmm. Some issues is putting it lightly. <laughs> well, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm just right. going to say some issues. Some issues. Well, I mean, you pretty much gave gave it away right there. They were colonizers, and you know, there's, there's well, certain mean, you weight ass- that comes along with that. Well, you assume that just from the, the very first scene in this book is one of the main characters, um, Sava, Samat, uh, is basically uh, goes into native territory, disturbs one of their temples, mm-hmm. and and um, absconds with some valuable artifacts and knows it's wrong. But he does it anyway because he's a scholar. Well, that sets the scene that not everything is is rosy between the nations, the colonizers, the African colonizers, and come to find out with the second chapter of the book, the uh, Vinlanders, right? As well, so you have these three forces that are at odds with each other within the small uh, geographic region, and. Uh, part of the backstory is there's this constant war going on with Canada. <laughs> with and Milton Canada. Milton describes it as Canada is kind of like the Russia of right. the New World. Right. Canada Canada is like this universe is Afghanistan. Everybody wants to invade it, but nobody can fucking hold it. Right, it, it, because it's a you know it's a frozen wasteland. It's Kamchatka on fucking risk board. You know, everybody wants it, but nobody can fucking hold it. And so, it's just like it's my a- my head cannon is that Canada was conquered by the Khan. <laughs> Maybe Canada is just held by the, the natives from that's, Canada. That's true. That's true. You know, we don't know. We just know there's a big war going on there. And it's enough of a conflict that um, the local conflicts are secondary to the big conflict. And it, it's it's big enough that that's where they send the young warriors to learn the art of war. <laughs> Go to the fucking Canadian front, and if they survive, right? They're you know, they're, they're warriors. They could, they're warriors. Yeah. So I know I know Milton's going to listen to this episode. So yeah, let's see some Canada, man. Let's see some Canada. It's really the, the war is really just one big hockey game. It's the, it's the Great Molasses War, <laughs> and uh, you know, at, at at the quarter at the period breaks again, Putin. That's right. Now you already mentioned Samat, and then we are also introduced to his brother Vel. Right. Uh, both of them are minor lords. Uh, they basically got their their titles through through deed, not heredity. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Well, somebody got their title through deed, and they got it through heredity, I suppose. Yes. But uh, Vel and Savat... They are part of the, the, the ruling clan. Mm-hmm. The Savats. Yes. Uh, and they are also notorious troublemakers. Vel more than anyone. 
Yeah, I think Vel is definitely a rabble rouser. He's a roguish character. I think uh, Samat is more... Um, he's more... It's a consequence of his actions. Mm -hmm. He doesn't go out... He doesn't set out to cause trouble. But if his goal um, coincides with trouble... I don't think he's going to avoid his goal. He's a little bit more single-minded um, and maybe a little naive just in terms of um, what his consequences are. Right, right. Or what the consequences of his actions can be. But, you know, he's roguish, but it's mainly he is a womanizer. He is... That's Vel. That's Vel. He is yeah, a... No, Vel doesn't give a shit. Yeah. He, Vel he's really a, doesn't give... I, <laughs> he's the he, bard stereotype. Yeah, he acts before he thinks, um, and, you know, he, the only consequences he cares about are uh, who's paying for the wine <laughs> and what the cup size of his current um, infatuation is. Right, uh, right. That, that's his concerns. Whereas I think Samat is more thoughtful, um, but you know, he's a scholar. But if the knowledge he wants is in enemy territory, he's going to say, fuck it. I'm going to go and do it. Hopefully we won't get caught. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Samat uh, also is an interesting character because he kind of turns the wizard trope on its head because he is a very large and powerfully built man uh, who is physically imposing. He has skill with a blade. Um, unlike your typical fantasy wizard, which is kind of like, you know, a, a, a 90 pound weakling. Right. Well, I think that, you know, D and D more than anything has, uh, put that stereotype, um, to the forefront. Mm -hmm. I, I think outside of Dungeons and Dragons, you don't really get that stereotype very much. Mm. Uh, Gandalf had a sword and he knew how to use it. Right. So I, well, he I, I kind of subverted that, like, it I, being that uh, his, his subversion was that he was a wizened old man and people like underestimated him because, right. you know, he was stoned all the time and. <laughs> <laughs> right. That that's the whole Lord of the Rings was, uh, was they took away our pipe. weed. let's go get him. Right. Right. They did that as as the amount of pipe weed that they had access to dwindled, the more violent they got. They raised <laughs> Isengard and the first thing they found was pipe weed and they were all sitting around eating after that. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Samat and we have Vel, and there is a third member to this group, and that is their cousin Nahim. Uh Nahim <laughs> is the son of the king. Uh, of the Savads, and he is an expert warrior. He's learning to be a shrewd diplomat. Uh, and, he, and for all intents and purposes, he is in charge. Right. Right. Uh, his father is still alive, but is uh, gravely ill. Mm -hmm. So he's acting kind of as a regent at this point. He doesn't have the full power, weight of being the ruler, but he is the de facto ruler. Right. And he's also charged more often than not with cleaning up after Samat and Vel. 
to the point where after Sabat and Vel get in trouble at the beginning of the book, they go straight to him. Right. Yep. So that, that's kind of the dynamic you're working with. But this time, uh, the brothers have gotten themselves in a little bit more... A, a little bit over their head, more than usual, to the point where um, they're risking war <laughs> with two different factions. For what they so, did. So they, there's three factions around, and they pissed off the, the two that they weren't a part of. Right. And, and by virtue that. of that, they pissed off the third. Because right. Naheem is not happy. Milton does a really good job of uh, the family dynamic between not only just the two brothers who we spend most of our time with over the course of the narrative, but also the relationship with Naheem and tell you the truth, when he split the group, when he split the three of them up uh, because reasons, I I was a little disappointed because I loved the way the three of them interplayed together, like on the cattle drive. Portion. You would not have a story without them this being is true. split up. So, I mean, the, the whole, that's all kind of background as to what the actual plot of the story is, which is in order for the two brothers to stay alive and not be executed, mm. <laughs> um, they need to disappear for a while. And where they're going to disappear to is the motherland. Mm-hmm. So that basically, you have the um, the two brothers, Vel and Samat, um, are going to go back through the their past, more or less, uh, to back to Africa to uh, search out uh, their roots, mm-hmm. while their cousin uh, covers for them and tries to uh, make amends. As best he can. Soften things up a little bit. Right. So they're they're kind of being shoved out of the way so they don't die. That's right. The two of them have to go kind of off the grid, so to speak. That's the big setup. And without spoiling it, um, it is called the debt to pay. So um, as they go get closer and closer to discovering their roots... Um, they find out more and more about the type of people um, their roots came from. Mm-hmm. And um, you come to find out that their ancestors were uh, did some things. Right. Committed some, some minor atrocities. Minor atrocities. You are the master of the understatement today. Minor and, atrocities, and and uh, that you can't give away anything else. <laughs> that, that that's in in a nutshell. And you, you slowly, and he does it really well. You slowly find out, um, you know, what this debt actually is. Mm-hmm. And I will say, the name of the novel is not "The Debt Has Been Paid," right. It is a debt to pay. Right. Right. Now, for those of you who are listening and you're hearing us talk about it, um, you know, 
and you're wondering whether or not to pull the trigger on getting this book, let, let me let me tell you what what's in here. It, there is a lot of influences working in this book um, that Milton would spin off into uh, various, like, focusing on this aspect, focusing on this aspect. This is definitely Sword and Soul. Uh, it definitely alternate history. Uh, there's a touch touch of steampunk. Um, not too much, which is great. Just not too enough. much. Uh, it is. There's also the lost civilization adventure aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, and it's 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 there's parts of it that are straight up buddy comedy. As the brothers are interacting, Milton Davis with each other. does a lot of of buddy comedy. Yes, you can see a lot of buddy comedy in a lot of um, the stuff that he writes. Right, right. But I, I think is, I think the introduction a, of the familial bond into the buddy comedy also is what one of the things that makes this story work so well. Yes. Now I'll tell you what I really like about this story. Um, I've read a lot of um, this type of story, not necessarily uh, alternate history, uh, but of uh, people going back to their ancestral roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fairly common trope in weird fiction, especially with Lovecraft, right? Um, and and Robert E. Howard, and instead of the typical you find out that your ancestors were monsters. Right. Either literally or figuratively, rats in the walls. Um, Arthur Germain. Lurking, Arthur Germain, lurking fear, shadow over Innsmouth. Um, there's a bunch of them out there. But every last one of those ends with like some, the horrific realization that somehow this what your ancestors did makes you less than human. And um, it's, it's a horrible revelation, mm-hmm. right? That uh, overwhelms you to the point where you actually devolve into uh, that ancestral form. Right. Um, wh- whether it's, you know, um, I'm going to break my cousin out of the in- asylum and we're going to go to devil's reef. Right. Whether it's that, um, or you decide to be a cannibal yourself, or whatever, um, you, you get a very bleak outlook on that ancestral journey. Whereas in this, you know, we have a very similar setup. They come to find out that, you know, their ancestors were not the nicest people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's just because Mil- Milton himself is a more positive person or what have you. But it's a very different type of ending. Um, and and it, it's not over. This is like, it's a debt to pay, not the debt has been paid, like I said. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have a, a positive jumping off point for the next one. It, you, you could see that there's, there's going to be this type of struggle. That's going to be part of it. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're, you have hope. There's hope that there's at least going to be an attempt made to rally against this, mm-hmm. and and an attempt made to overcome it. Um, so you have uh, that heroic spark, 
um, that are that are inside of these characters that I think you lose um, with your your typical Lovecraft kind of fare. Right. Right. Not saying that that those stories that we had mentioned were bad or anything. I, I like the Shadow Over and Smoke, um, but it's a different outlook. It's completely different. So if you like that kind of story, but the endings of those are a little predictable, and let's face it, they tend to be. Um, I would recommend to read this just for the fact that the ending is a different type of ending. Mm -hmm. But we, I will say that the ending is kind of wide open for, for it the is. sequel. I, well, yeah. When, when, when I finished the story, um, the first thing I did was look to see if there was more. Uh, there was not. <laughs> and I asked Milton, what the hell, man? <laughs> This is just going to end, and he said that he's making a sequel. So okay, that's good. That's good. So uh, yeah, a debt to pay. Uh, go out there, MV Media. We'll put a link in the description. Uh, definitely pick it up uh, because with a lot of these things, purchases do encourage you know, authors to further play in this world. In their world, no, it's true, and and you know, I will say. Milton is self-published. Mm -hmm. um, MV Media is, is his company. He doesn't like, it's not Dell or Tor or whatever. Um, so he's going to write what, you know, what sells for him. Mm -hmm. So the more people buy this stuff, the more he's going to write this stuff. Right, exactly. So if, if you want more alternative history with, Tinges of steampunk and uh, um, e examinations of how the past uh, affects the present. Buy this book and read it. That's right. Buy multiple <laughs> copies so he doesn't write romance. <laughs> I don't know. Milton, Milton can write romance. Like, he's all right. I don't know if I'd want to read a whole book of it, but. Well, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, you know. He's a businessman. He's got business senses. That's so. true, and he has threatened to do it in the past. <laughs> he has threatened to give up on Sword and Soul and 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 go into just straight historical fiction or romance and stuff like that. So it's like, y'all, buy some Sword and Soul. Get with the program. He, he does well with, with historical fiction as well, though. I've read... Um, a couple of his historical fiction, like his uh, Bass Reeves story, mm. uh, he does well with it. Right. I mean, right. It's it's kind of Milton reminds me a lot of a of, a, of Robert E. Howard. He is able to function in a number of different uh, genres that are all kind of related, right? Mm. Um, and make it interesting, um, and and. The, the things that you normally see uh, in a Milton Davis story, which are, which is you see it a lot in Robert E. Howard stories, are political intrigue mm -hmm. that is resolved through violence. <laughs> ah, the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I'm just I I'm, I'm reading a bunch of um El Borak stories, right. which are uh, uh, historical fiction. It's a, you know Afghanistan, right. turn of the century Afghanistan, and that's that's what it is. You could drop Conan in there and a demon, and it would be the same, almost the exact same thing. Right, right. right. Um, but but they're but they're different, and and Howard's skilled enough that he can write an Al Borak story, and you know it's an Al Borak story. You're not expecting, um, you know, a snake demon to come by and have to, you know, have a big fight, right? But, but it is uh, Robert E. Howard, so a giant snake has to figure in at least one of these stories. Uh, I think one of one of these El Borak stories actually has a faint supernatural element to it. I haven't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so far, they've all just been straight historical fiction, right? Right, action adventure uh, stories. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. They're they're super really good, and and I'm saying that Milton Davis has the ability to do that as well. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. as good a, of an author where he can function, and and they're similar. You know, sword and sorcery. You know, take away the the sorcery part, and it, it, it's almost historical fiction, especially. Um, if, if like Milton Davis, you actually use historical governments and kingdoms and places mm-hmm. as your basis right. for, for you know, the, the, the sorcery part, which is what Robert E. Howard did as well. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. Milton does spend a lot of time researching uh, ancient cultures, uh, particularly in the African continent. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is which is great because there's not a lot of that type of historical research going on, and the UN's history of Africa uh, is a bit dry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And so, so you get you get actual bits and pieces uh, in a more digestible and entertaining format, and he does really well. Um, so, yeah, I mean. I'm almost since since the comparison just keeps coming up, I'm almost uh, tempted to say that Milton Davis is the Robert E. Howard of our time. There you go. So, so there. that's us giving the finger to George R. R. Martin. <laughs> I've never read any George R. R. Martin, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> George R. R. Martin is now more famous for what he plans to write than what he's actually written. Well, I will say that I have read, well, I've read more Milton Davis than George R. R. Martin. But um, I like reading Milton Davis. I tried to read A Song of Ice and Fire, and I will say I thought, it, you know, that I didn't like the prose. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't like the way it reads, I'm not going to read it. Right. Accessible prose. Fantastic characters. It doesn't even need to be history. accessible. It just needs to be exciting. Well, that was number four. Excitement <laughs> in the plots. So accessible prose, prose fantastic characters, accessible historical prose. research, fantastic, <laughs> exciting plots. He's fucking Milton Davis. That's yes. five reasons right there why you should be reading. And this this book actually has all of that, right? To be honest with you, and there's even magic. Um, you know, we didn't even in, go into the part where they have like a really cool um, 
like it's weird system of magic. It's a little bit different than uh, what you normally think of when you think of magic in this kind of setting. Yep. So and, and not just magic, magic swords. Yes. Spear yeah. magic helmet. Yep. All right, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. A debt to pay. Definitely run out and check out this book. Post haste. And we will catch you guys next time. Until then. Yes. When you will get luck points. Not me. I'm I'm gonna GM the thing, so.